Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When a person first comes to know the Lord Jesus, when they are first born again by the Spirit of God, the first thing that they are normally told is that they are now to try and identify all of those things that they are not supposed to do and they are to stop doing those things. You first sit down and you consider all of the sins in your life and then you you repent from those sins, turn away from those sins, stop committing those sins, and now instead try to live a life of holiness. That's generally what people are told and so that's how they normally pursue their Christian life. In addition to that, once you begin pursuing a change in your lifestyle, you also start looking for those things that you should be doing. And so normally we start out by talking about those things that you should not be doing and then proceed with those things that you should be doing. And that generally becomes the focus of the Christian life for many believers after they first get saved. After they identify those sins that they are not to be committing anymore, they then begin to identify those things that they should be doing now. And a person is encouraged and directed to try and now live a life that they should be living according to the leadership that they are subjecting themselves under. And so that's how a person begins to walk in their new Christian life, in their new faith, and they become very busy, very preoccupied with various things, various activities, various things that they can do in the church, various things that they can do in the community or in the lives of other people. They start reading their Bible, they start participating in Christian activities such as Bible studies and home fellowships and other service projects. This becomes the Christian life, and it becomes a focus of what you do. That is the focus that a person will eventually begin to have in their Christian life, is a life of what they are doing. Now, if you consider that this is the life of most young believers, those believers who are relatively mature in their faith, then what is that really going to do for them personally? What is that really going to do in terms of assisting them in maturing in their faith? Well, as I have observed, the answer to that is definitely just about nothing. Virtually nothing is going to happen in terms of their maturity in their faith or their maturity in their relationship with Christ Jesus. Instead, what they really experience is they experience a lot of activity, a lot of busyness, but they have no idea who the Lord Jesus really is as a person. Now, they are told that they will come to know the Lord Jesus as a person, and there are many people who sincerely believe that they know the Lord Jesus more as a person. But as I have come to know the Lord Jesus, as I have grown in my faith, in my relationship with him, and then I compare what I understand about him with what these kinds of people understand about the Lord Jesus, we just simply don't agree. We don't agree. And so a person will have to decide, well, is this person who claims that they know the Lord Jesus versus this person who claims that they know the Lord Jesus, even though they believe very different things, even though they live in very different ways, who is really right? Who's really telling the truth? Well, that becomes a very personal experience, a personal decision that an individual is going to have to make in many ways. We can argue the point from one end to the other, but that does not always lead to a conclusion that a person will then begin to pursue the truth. 
Quite often these decisions are made because of other reasons, often social pressures or wanting to be a part of a certain community of people. There are various reasons why people actually do believe the things that they do, and it's not always because they really want to know the truth. But either way, I want you to understand that many people do continue to live their lives like this. They do live their lives being focused on what they are doing, what they are involved in, what they manage to accomplish, what they manage to do for the Lord Jesus. However, for myself, I live a very different way of life. My life is very different in terms of my relationship with my God. My relationship with my God has absolutely nothing to do with what I do. Now, certainly I do quite a bit. If you were to take a look at my schedule and the activities that I'm involved in and the participation that I have in building the kingdom of heaven, you would say that I'm definitely doing a lot, quite a bit more than most people that you know. However, from my perspective, I don't see that as an act of doing. I see that as an act of simply responding to what the Lord has directed me to do. And that is not something that I really concern myself with. I'm just simply responsive to how the Lord is directing me in my daily life. My focus, however, is not about what I am doing. And I never ask the question, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? I don't ask these kinds of questions. I don't wonder, am I doing enough or am I not doing enough? I'm not concerned about that. I am only concerned about being attentive to the Lord Jesus and responding to how he personally directs me. And so I also encourage other people to live that way in their daily lives. But there are many people who do not live that way. Instead, many people are consumed with what they are trying to accomplish, what they are trying to do for the Lord Jesus. And one of the most common traits that folks have who are struggling with this type of relationship is that they're always living with a sense of uncertainty as to whether or not they are really doing enough. They're always living with a sense of insecurity because of the concern as to whether or not they are truly committed like they believe they should be committed. And the reason why is because so often we are presented with so many needs in our daily experiences. It's very common for people in religious environments to be presented with many needs that other people have. And when these presentations are made, people are very concerned about whether or not they should be involved in that. There are always needs that are being presented before them. And this focus of a life of doing is always dependent on the needs that you are exposed to wanting to always do everything for everybody, for the Lord, everything that can possibly be done, that's what you do. And so eventually you get overburdened by not knowing what really to do because you can't do everything. But what happens is is that a person becomes very focused on themselves. And this is the end result, is that regardless of how you pursue what you're going to do or what you're not going to do, you can eventually become very preoccupied with yourself. Because, again, you're very consumed with what you are trying to do for the Lord Jesus. And so you eventually become very preoccupied with yourself, very concerned about yourself. And as a result, when will you ever really rest? When will you ever have confidence that you are doing enough? When will you ever have confidence that you are doing the right things? Well, in general, what I have found is that you will never, ever have the right confidence or the right trust in this regard, to the extent where you will be able to be at rest and be at peace and live a life of being thankful. I personally have never witnessed somebody who really 
rested in Christ Jesus in this way. Now, I know many people who claim that they do, and so don't contact me and tell me that you are one of these necessarily. Allow me to have personal interaction with you if the Lord so directs us to have some time together, and he will testify to me as to whether or not this is true or not true. But so far up to date, what I can definitely say with great conviction is that I have yet to encounter anyone who really does experience a sense of peace and rest in their heart because they're so consumed with what they are doing for the Lord Jesus. I, on the other hand, I live very differently. I personally, I live on the basis of what he has done for me, not what I am going to do for him. We have a wonderful example of this in the scriptures of a person who asked this very question of what should I do? This is described in Acts chapter 9 with the confrontation with Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, a confrontation that he had with the Lord Jesus. This is described in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is the confrontation that Paul had with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. It certainly was a very significant emotional event for the Apostle Paul. Because here, the Lord Jesus personally shows up personally confronts Paul, causes him to lose his sight, and takes him down to the ground, down to his knees, and so that Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, would clearly understand that he was being confronted by the Lord his God personally. And he responds that way. He says, Who are you, Lord? In verse 5. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, try to imagine what Paul would be thinking, or what Saul would be thinking at this point. What would he really be thinking? He had just received credentials to go to Damascus, to go and find people who believed in the Lord Jesus, who trusted in the Lord Jesus, and imprisoned them. He had just received credentials to go and do that. He certainly took these credentials, and he was going forward to enforce the authority that had been given to him. This was going to be his new way of life, at least for now. It was going to be his new way, his new mission in life would be to go and imprison those who were believing that Jesus was the Messiah. But then the Lord Jesus himself shows up and intervenes, intervenes in his life and says, No, I do not want you to do this. Instead, I do have something else for you to do. But he doesn't tell Paul precisely what he wants him to do. Right then and there, he just tells him to go into the city and wait. That's what he tells him. He says, go into the city and wait, and you will be told what I would like you to do. 
Please understand that I do believe that the Lord our God, the Lord Jesus, does give us direction. He does give us instruction. He will give us things to do. I'm certainly not going to argue this at all. But the difference is between a life of religion versus a life of dependency and trust in the Lord Jesus is that a life of religion has a lot to do with what man is telling you to do, not what your God is telling you to do. And one way you can certainly know the difference is that if you have any concern, if you have any question as to whether or not what you are confronted with or what is being proposed to you is something that is of God or from God, if you have any concern or any question about it, chances are it's not. I really do believe that our God is not dysfunctional, and if he has something for you to do, he will make it very clear to you. He has the ability to make it clear to you and so that there is no way that you are going to be confused. There will be no way that you will be confused about what he is really asking you to do. I really do believe that. What we have right here is a wonderful example of that very truth, that the Lord Jesus has something for Paul to do, certainly. But the first thing that he says to him is to go into the city and wait. That's the first thing. He doesn't tell him immediately, I want you to stop what you're doing and I want you to go do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. That's not what he said. He said, I want you to go and I want you to wait. That's what he did. And he took away Saul's sight. He took away his sight so that he could not see. That definitely would put him in a position where all he could do was nothing. All he could do was nothing. And so when people often come to me after they discover that there are several things that they did not understand about the scriptures of the Lord Jesus, even though they may have been Christians for years, even though that may be the case, because they come in contact with something that I have written or something that I have produced in terms of an audio file of some kind, they come to me and quite often the first question that they ask me is, well, what do I now do? Because when I teach the grace of God, when I teach the grace of God and the mercy of God, What I teach is that there is nothing that you can do. There is nothing left for you to do. Everything has been done for you. And so people will come to me, and the first question that they generally ask is, well, well, then what do I do? What do I do for the Lord Jesus? And the answer is nothing. Your life is not to be a life of doing for the Lord Jesus. Your life is to be a life of trusting and believing and enjoying what he has already done for you. That's how you really begin to walk in your Christian life. And as you are at peace, as you are at rest, when you are trusting, when you are living, enjoying, and enjoying the life that you now have to the extent where you can live a life of thankfulness, I have definitely found that when a person is experiencing that, they are available, they are personally available for the Lord Jesus to be used for various things, various important things to be able to reach out to other people in ways that they could have never been used beforehand because of the internal struggle that they would be dealing with personally, being so preoccupied with themselves, wondering whether or not they are actually doing enough for the Lord Jesus. You see what I mean? The important thing for you to understand here is that the Lord Jesus has done everything for you so that you can live a life of trust, peace, and rest. And while living a life of rest and peace in Christ Jesus, he will give you things to do. But they certainly will not be burdens to you anymore. Instead, they will be things that you can certainly enjoy even more and enjoy the thrill of being a participant in what Christ Jesus is doing here on earth. But before that happens, quite often a person has to take some time to recognize that they can do nothing, that really they can do nothing, and they should not be doing anything really. But instead, they should be waiting patiently, they should be resting, and they should be thankful, and they should enjoy the peace of God. 
so that when the Lord gives them direction, He does give them instruction and He asks them to participate in something, they will do so with the internal peace that they have with Him, as opposed to participating in these things, hoping that they will eventually obtain the internal peace that they know they should have with Christ Jesus. These are two completely different ways of living, and there is no harmonizing the two. And you must distinguish between the two and understand the differences significantly, otherwise you will never know the reality of what it really is like to live a life of peace and rest in Christ Jesus. Saul went to the place that the Lord Jesus directed him to go to. This is described in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Definitely an expression of resting and waiting on what the Lord would do for him, how the Lord would direct him. Beginning in verse 10. In verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so the Lord directed Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, to go to the house of Judas, and he was there Waiting, He couldn't see, and so he sat there. He just simply waited. He didn't eat anything. He didn't drink anything. If you were Saul, what would you be doing? Think about how your life would dramatically change. Even today, imagine how your life would change if all of a sudden you were not able to see anymore. If your eyesight went away, how would that really change your life? How would that change your goals that you have right now? How would that change your direction in life that you have right now? How would that change your activities that you are involved in right now just because you cannot see? How would that change your objectives in terms of the things that you are wanting to acquire for yourself, those things that you are working so hard to obtain? How would that really change your life? How would that really affect your life in terms of your goal, your mission, and your purpose for even being here? Well, I sincerely believe that Saul was also confronted with this as he was sitting there thinking about the fact that he couldn't see anymore, and he had no idea necessarily whether or not he was even going to regain his sight at all, whether or not he would ever see again. He did receive the vision, and he might certainly believe and trust in the vision. However, we don't really know for certain that he would have a high degree of confidence that that would actually be fulfilled. We don't know what he might have been thinking with regards to that vision. But either way, Ananias did come, and he laid his hands on Saul, His sight was restored to him, giving him further confirmation that this was an act of the Lord Jesus and that the Lord Jesus has set him free for himself, that he has specifically intervened in the life of Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. He intervened in his life and chose him to communicate some of the most important truths about the gospel, the implications of what Christ Jesus has done for us, 
The Lord Jesus chose the Apostle Paul to reveal to him so that it could be communicated to others many of the mysteries of the gospel, to reveal great revelations that no one beforehand had ever really understood or known. Which is interesting to me when you consider the Apostles still in Jerusalem and the other disciples there. Why didn't he take the time to speak to them? Why didn't he relate those things to them? Well, I personally believe that he did. I personally believe that he did try to reach out to them. However, they were not responsive. They just simply were not that responsive. Paul, on the other hand, apparently was very responsive. He did receive the word that the Lord Jesus communicated to him. He did receive that word. He believed it. It took some time. I do have evidence here that shows that it took some time for Saul to really become the Apostle Paul. Certainly, however, in time, he certainly did mature in his faith, and the Lord Jesus used him very effectively. But before that happened, he showed up in Damascus. He was there in Damascus. It was here that the scales fell from his eyes. That's described in Acts chapter 9, verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. It says here in verse 18 that he was actually baptized. Now again, it's important to know and understand the purpose of baptism, and that was that it was established to convert a Gentile to Judaism. But here, we have a Jew who is going to be baptized. This would mean to the Apostle Paul that he is recommitting his life to a life of Judaism, to a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law, but in addition to that, he is going to now be identified with the Lord Jesus, believing that the Lord Jesus is the Messiah. But being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus does not save him. His salvation is based on the restoration of the life of God lost in Adam. This baptism is about his decision to commit himself to a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law and a life of belief in the Lord Jesus. Freedom from the Mosaic Law would come later in time. I do not see any evidence that the Apostle Paul got in touch with the reality that he was set free from the law at this time. It certainly wouldn't make any sense to me for him to believe that right away. Normally this takes some time. With me, it took some time. When I was in a similar position that Paul was in, even though I did not experience a blinding light or the voice of the Lord Jesus, it took me some time to understand the reality of the resurrection and the reality of the new life that I now get to walk in and be set free from the law as a result of what Christ Jesus has already done for me. It took me some time, and so I would generally expect that it would take the Apostle Paul some time as well, as he would be maturing in his faith as well. And so in the meantime, what would he really do? Well, we can continue to read in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, that he took food and was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And so that's what he did. He went forward and he said that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is effectively the Messiah. And that would be the message that he would have. That would just about be the extent of the message that he would have. But it is an effective message, it is a valuable message, and he went forward and he communicated this message to whoever would be willing to receive it. And of course everyone was amazed, because they knew that he was the man who was given the credentials to speak against those people who believed in the Lord Jesus and also capture them and put them in prison. And yet now he is promoting the Lord Jesus and encouraging people to have faith and trust 
in him. This is definitely a big turnaround in the life of Saul who became the Apostle Paul. But just how effective was he? How effective was Saul in communicating the gospel or communicating what he understood about the gospel to other people? When continuing to read through Acts chapter 9, we don't really have any indication that he was really successful in communicating the truth that Jesus is the Messiah to other people, at least to the extent that they would be willing to receive it. What we do know is that many people were amazed at what happened to him. They were very amazed at the change that he experienced personally. However, that did not necessarily give anybody a reason to believe in the Lord Jesus. They could just simply reject what Saul was teaching only because they would say that he did not seem to have very much conviction with regards to anything. First, he believes one thing, and now he believes something else. And so how can we really trust and believe in what he is saying right now? That could be one way of approaching it. But in looking at the responses that he received from other people, I would venture to say he was very effective in communicating the truth that he really did believe what he was telling people, that he really did believe it, that he was able to communicate that to others, and so that would not necessarily be their response. It would not necessarily be their reaction. Instead, what they do is they respond to the Apostle Paul, not by believing his message, but instead by trying to find some way to kill him by trying to find some way to get rid of him. Probably because he was being very annoying to them. Probably because he was really getting on their nerves. Apparently no one was converting to his message, and so instead this would be an attitude of, we need to get rid of this guy just because he's such a pain, just because he's such an irritant, just because he's bothering us too much. That could very well have been the case. Later on in his life, as he was a missionary into the Gentile world, There were many Jews who wanted to have him executed because he was successful at communicating this message to other people. Other people were receiving the message, and they were being saved as a result of the testimony of Paul. But we don't have that indicated here. This is early on in his ministry, early on in his desire to minister to others and communicate the truth that the Lord has revealed to him. Instead, what happens is is that they want to kill him. And so he leaves town, he leaves Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem, The church in Jerusalem is apparently not interested in welcoming him, and so Barnabas takes him out of Jerusalem, also because there were other Jews who were wanting to put him to death. He takes him out of Jerusalem and sends him to his hometown in Tarsus, and there he waits. He sincerely attempted to reach out to many people. However, he apparently was either ineffective or people were not interested in his message, and so he went and he waited which I believe would give him a wonderful opportunity to actually begin to grow and mature in his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net